Welcome to the Aaron Novello Podcast. Are you looking to master the art of real estate sales? Do you want to level up your business and lifestyle? You are in the right place. Aaron and his guests share winning real estate sales strategies and techniques and show you how to win the inner game that leads to financial freedom. Get ready. Here is your host, top producing real estate agent and coach to some of the top agents in the U.S. and internationally, Aaron Novello. I have with us the original OG, the OG gangster of this real estate game, Mr. Jeffrey Quinton. And Jeff has always been uh, somebody who's been super generous with his time, with his resources. He was kind enough at the beginning of my career when I was just getting started and doing about 50 deals. Uh, I flew up to him and I got an opportunity to shadow him. He was kind enough to open up his home. I got to stay in his house. And he really just, you know, kind of poured out and was like, hey, man, this is what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And that was really instrumental for me to see the difference between income producing and income servicing and how he broke that apart and actually had them in two ge- two different geographic areas, right? Yeah. And that was huge. And when I think of Quentin, I think of two things, right? One is being a world-class salesperson because he definitely is that. But the other thing I think of is being a world-class business person where Jeff has done something that is somewhat of like a unicorn in our game is he has figured out a way to go from being in production, like actually being the one that goes on appointments. Um, So being an operator of a business and shifting into being an owner of a business where now, which Jeff will share with you, you know, he's actually not in production doing very little deals himself, but still producing and earning at a high level. So thank you, Jeff, man. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to be with us and with the audience. And uh, I know they're going to get a lot of value from it. So what I'd like to for you to do, if it's okay, is to just kind of walk us through. So at the beginning, kind of being very much so in production, right? Um, and doing that at a really high level. And then kind of that evolution and how a switch went off for you and you began to shift your focus into being an owner instead of just an operator. Yeah, no, certainly. Well, again, it's an honor. It's a pleasure to be here. And and you've always been, obviously, a mentor to me. And, and um, I've always looked up to you as well, obviously, with your skill level. And this is awesome that you started your own po- podcast. And I'm definitely jelly for sure, um, <laughs> you know, and all this. So thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure being here and doing that. So thank you. Um, you know, so I guess, you know, going going back, you know, one thing that you just mentioned was when you had um, – when you, uh, when you and uh, Greg came up, Sisson, um, and memory shadowed me, right, back then in our team. If you remember, you just mentioned about having two separate spaces. And so if I go back into uh, why that was or what that happened was, years ago, um, the office that I was in, it was where our team was. At the time, I had a very small team. I think there were two admin, maybe one other agent, two other agents at the time. And uh, our, our office was going through a renovation. And so it forced us to move outside of our office to a different location. Well, when that happened, I put my admin staff in a rented space. It was actually a bakery that was closed during the winter. And then we, my, my, my sales team, there's like two other agents. We went to a different office location, you know, off, off market, off the island where we live. And then that next year, because we had two separate places, admin in one location, while the, while the main building was getting renovated and then our sales team, all of our production went way up. And we increased like 50 units because we just weren't in the day-to-day. We weren't getting bogged down. We weren't getting distracted. And we made our other space just a complete call center. So, you know, that was what was kind of cool was I realized in the beginning that, you know, we needed to be hyper-focused and eliminate as much distractions as possible to be the best salesperson to really, you know, focus. And so that's how that kind of at all started. If you remember then when you guys are thinking, you know, my office at the time, I think I just had my own separate prospecting room where I forget what it was. Did I have my downtown location then? It was so awesome because it was like uh, blackout shades. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody, yeah. You, you would never even tell from the street what it was. Yeah, and that's where I am right now. So it yeah. still exists. Yep, so still the shades are down. There's no signage. I mean, it acts like a mega agent office. It's actually with, with inside KW World. It's a mega agent office. I just never put signage up. Um, this is where our sales team comes, and we've got stand-up desks and, uh, you know, all double-dual headsets still that are recorded in old school. Um, and so that we still have that, that going every single day. So anyway, um, I guess starting back from the journey. So, you know, I got in the business in 1992, right out of high school. 
um, solo agent, ran as a solo agent for probably eight, eight years or so, got up to about 80 transactions as a solo agent doing everything myself, and then hired uh, my first assistant, which was a shared assistant with another agent in the office that wasn't part of my team or anything. I, I used to get her from about one to five, and he would get her from nine to one. I would be prospecting in the morning, and I would be able to get the benefits of the afternoon of the, of the assistant. And he did, wasn't on the same program, so we shared an assistant for a while, and then Eventually, he actually, he took her on full time. I went and hired a different one. That year went from about 80 transactions to about 123, I think it was, with just me and one assistant. And then from there, you know, I was mostly always listing focused, but also there was buyer leads coming in. So then I hired my first buyer's agent. And my one assistant was both transaction management and listing management doing everything as, as one. Then I hired a closing coordinator and separated kind of the two positions um, and then hired another assistant. So I had like three assistants or three admin at one time. And then two agents uh, that hired another agent. And then it was three and three. We ran that way for a long time. I mean, up until probably about 2000, maybe 14 or 15. But I'm talking about, you know, probably 10 years that way, at least. Uh, probably 12 years. With that structure in place, what, what was your transaction volume? Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, this is, you know, it, let's just say until I started adding on um, for those years. I mean, we were doing... Um, anywhere between 220 to 260 units. I think the most, I think one year the most it was about 263 units. Uh, as close and pending that year. Yeah. We did one, you know, we were doing like, I think the best year ever with three agents, three admin was 219 closed, about 140 million. And that was when we had an average sales price of 70, seven, uh, 700,000, right? 3.9 GCI. I mean, huge years. And this is 04 and 05, right? The market helped us, but we were still doing 200 plus units. And, you know, that's when I was in production. So I was doing, you know, out of that, 219 close, let's say I was doing, you know, 100 to 110 myself. And then the other two agents were doing 40, 50 themselves, you know, so they were, they were cranking as well. You know, interesting because I, I really do believe that success leaves clues. And what I hear you saying is, is that at first you really focused in on, you know, the income kind of producing activities. You really worked on your craft in terms of skills, got up to like eight deals. And then you implemented the first system, which was a kind of part time assistant. And then once you got your next assistant, your your production exploded, right? You really jumped, went from like 80 to like 120. Yes. And then as you leverage, you went from 120 to the 200s. Correct. And and I think that that's, um, it's very interesting because what I'm aware of is, is I was reading this book, Traction, which I'm sure you've probably read. And yeah, they sure. talk about letting go, right? So like I'm aware at each juncture you had to let go of something. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, 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 and then I'm aware there's a, even a bigger kind of letting go when you get out of production. So if you can talk to me about like what you had to let go of to go from like 80 to 120 and then 120 to 200. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I, I mean, I had to let go of the fact that before I always thought I was the best at doing everything and only I could do it. You know, the, the, the control factor, um, was always something that I had to let go. I mean, I had to let go also the fact that I had to be available for everybody at every single time. Because most agents today that, you know, when they, when a buyer or seller call them, they jump to that call and they have to take it right away. Um, you know, what, what was, what was interesting to me is the whole coaching realm thing came into play in around 2000, 2001. And that was ultimately what happened there was I was working with a client that, uh, I'll tell you who it was. You probably remember, remember Michael Lambirely? Remember so, so Michael Land back then, Michael Land back then, she was in Reading, Pennsylvania. She was looking to buy a second home and just a, I mean, a, just an OG as well, but she was doing 200 plus transactions, like in late, late nineties, early two thousands. Like, you know, if you're doing over, you know, you know, I mean, if you were doing a hundred transactions, even in the early two thousands, like that was like unheard, not unheard of, but very, very few out there in the world. She was doing like 200 and I was at that time doing like 80, you know, whatever, 123. And I was like, how are you doing that? What did you do? She said, well, number one is you got you to gotta hire a coach. Go, go, don't worry about going into business planning at the time. That's like the group coaching. Go right into one-on-one, Mike Ferry, blah, blah, blah. And so I went home to my wife at the time and said, I got to go spend $1,000 a month and get a coach. And she's like, yeah, are you out of your mind? And I ended up jumping in two feet, did that. And then that's when the whole thing, you know, kind of started. Um, but so what happened out of that was understanding that, you know, one is I need a schedule, right? I had to, had to, I had to let go of the fact of always being available. I had to let go of the fact that, you know, only I can only do it myself and started, started understanding leverage with regards to assistance. Um, and then very, you know, what I did was my very first um, 
uh, year in coaching. Basically, I mean, what I was the way I used to do business to the way I do it now. Then I did 180 degree. Like, you know, I used to like most agents, I, I wake up in the morning and I just go and whatever comes at me for the day, I juggle it. And if I hopefully I get some stuff done. And I did that for a long time. I mean, and I did well with a lot of units, but I was working seven days a week. I didn't, if somebody said to me, show me your schedule. I didn't, I don't have a, what do you mean a schedule, right? Coaching got me involved and said, well, we're going to lay your day out. We're going to do certain things at certain activities. We're going to make sure your most important ones happen in the morning. You're going to master the time between you wake up till 12 noon. And then that ultimately, I was able to have to let go of the fact that became coachable and understood that someone else is doing this at a higher level. And so therefore, I had, to, I had to let go of the fact that I didn't know everything myself because think about it. I mean, you know, back then doing 80, 100 units, you're a really big fish. Like I was number one in my market and I had a big ego and I thought I was the shit, right? And all that. And then I went to my first one-on-one retreat in, in time in Irvine with Mike and I'm sitting in a room at the time, you know, you look around, I think the average the average person in the room was doing like 70 units. I swear to God, it wasn't, you know, as a group, as, as it got bigger, number of transactions went down, but still today, there's a, there's a lot of producing agents. So I looked at my left and right and I'm looking around like, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm just average now in this room, you know? Um, and so I figured out how to get, how to get out of my box, out of my area, be exposed to some other stuff. So I had to let go of that, you know, as far as my ego and had to let go of, uh, of, um, you know, I had to, I had to learn structure. I thought, I, you know, that, really that was important. That, Cause I think a lot of people will get value from that. I was taking notes as you were speaking and what came up for me is, um, you know, what holds a business back is always the psychology of its owner. Yeah. And that's so true, man. I, I learned that from Tony Robbins, a business mastery. And yeah. uh, what I, that's what was describing to me was psychology, right? You described to me like letting go of control that has to do with what's going on in your head. This idea that you have to be available to everybody. I'm aware that that comes from a place of scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. I'm aware at the beginning, you're like hustling and grinding and trying to do every deal and do everything and you don't want to leave anything on the table. And then also, which is a difficult one, man, particularly because you were really successful at a young age. I think I remember I saw this old school picture of you of like 30 under 30 in like a realtor, like realtor magazine, right? It was the first year. It was 2001. Yeah, I remember you had like flip flops on, you're like posing, you're like, yeah, I'm the man. And uh, I think I still got that magazine right here somewhere. Maybe I have it around. I'll take it out for you, but yeah. That's awesome. You're like, hey, I'm not prepared. I have that like under here. Um, <laughs> so, but like, I'm imagining like, I mean, that took a lot, right? Because you at a very young age had a lot of success and it took a lot to let go of the fact that like, hey, I don't really know everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then make yourself coachable. And then it sounds as though as well is getting proximity, right? Because I know that proximity is power. So getting proximity to people that were either doing way more than you or about the same as you, but we're doing it in a different way that was way more efficient. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, as you know, I mean, you know, success is, is nothing more than who you, who you're exposed to, right? Greatness comes from exposure and being in proximity. So that was a big thing because in my world, I was, you know, hanging, I was, I was the top person. Right. And I didn't really have exposure to any other ways. I didn't even know it was possible even to be able to do, you know, 200, 300. I didn't know anybody who was doing it before. I had no, no clue. Which is awesome. And the other thing I think is very interesting that I see this kind of um, unifying theme, right, for those who really are productive at a very high level, is that once they find the path, let's say, like they don't deviate. So once you recognize like, okay, this idea of a schedule, this idea of income producing versus income servicing, this idea of leverage, like I remember you telling me when you were in one space, right? And you had your admin there, you wouldn't even like open the door to give them the lead. You would like slide it under the door to prevent you from like actually engaging with them, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different things. I mean, yeah, that was the time when, when we would be locked in our prospecting room. So we put purposely a double, double, you know, like a deadbolt, but each side of the lock was a deadbolt. Actually, the, not each side, the, we reversed it. So the key would go on the outside of the door and we'd have to lock ourselves in, but the key was on the outside. The only way to get out is someone on the outside had to put the key in the deadbolt and unlock it. We weren't allowed out until you accomplished your contacts and you had to prove by sliding your contact sheet under the door. And our assistant would look at it and be like, hmm, all right, you got your 30, now you're allowed out. <laughs> forced, forced, forced it. That's so awesome. Yeah. Now, and then 
what I think is so interesting too is, is okay. So, and like you said, you hung out there for a while. So in other words, you got this mental map, you got these principles, right? With regards to what the highest leverage activity is, is on the listing side. And this idea of PLA and prospect lead follow up, going appointments, negotiate. And that's like 80 to 90% of the time. And the, the admin stuff was shrunk, right? You put systems in place, you got a team in place. And that worked for a long time and it was very, very profitable. For sure. So curious because you made another evolution, which I'm aware that that evolution, in my opinion, is, I don't know, in my experience, I mean, it's equally, if not more difficult because there's more stuff that you have to let go of. And you made this transition from being an operator doing 110, 120 deals on your own, right? Listing probably 10, 12, 15 properties a month. Yeah. And then you got, I, I'm imagining what happened is, is perhaps you got exposure to some people who were doing it perhaps in a different way and then put yourself in that same position where you put yourself in that room where you're like, hey, I'm not the big fish here. And there's these guys or gals that are doing this in a different way and they're actually not in production. They've become owners of a business instead of just, operators. So talk to me about like how that happened. And in around 2014, like you said, like what, what took place, what light bulb went off for you that you began to make that change in and in, in evolution? Yeah. I mean, I guess a couple of things. One is, you know, frankly, I got to a point where I was, I didn't really, I, I, I well, first of all, I kind of got to a point where, you know, I don't want to go on any more listing appointments myself. Like I don't really want to ever go on another goddamn appointment where a seller says to me, you're getting a 30 day listing. I'm giving you 5%. Like anymore. And that happens. I'm like, are you serious? Like, are, are you, you know, I mean, I, I don't even want to deal with that shit. You know what I mean? Like it gets to that point. Like, you know, I want something bigger and better. Like I've done that for so long, you know, so much time. So a few things, one is in my mind, I said, it's time for me to build leverage. It's time for me to pour into my agents because of the intellectual capital that I have over the years and the skills that I have. I'm starving them from being able to grow because I'm too busy being in it and not working on it with them. So I made a conscious effort to really step out of it and then pour into them. So step out and go into them more or less. Um, that was one part of it. Two, one is not burnt out, but one is something bigger and better out of it. I mean, I still go on listing appointments now, not, not as much anywhere near as I used to, but I still enjoy the game. Um, and, I, and I'm always still here working on it. Uh, another factor that that really exposed me, and you mentioned earlier, is Tony Biz, uh, Tony Robbins' business uh, um, uh, business mastery course. You know, we talk about just like you said, going from operator to owner, and that whole transition, and what does that look like? And so, you know, sometimes 14, 15, I really started saying, okay, well, how does this look, and what do I need to do to get myself? you know, out of the production and, and, you know, being hanging around Gary and Gary's mastermind group and being his select pirate group and so forth, I was able to, to, to notice that, you know, to really get to the next level and own a business. Um, basically when the coach is the player, the business isn't as pure. And so it was one of those things that I had to realize that, you know, for me to really get the team to operate the highest level, then I really need to coach them and train them and mentor them at a higher level. And so that's where most of my time is now spent uh, in that. And then, so how was I going to do that? Right. I mean, I'm already doing hundred units myself of the, of the team, a major portion of the, uh, of the production still coming from me, you know, like most teams, you got a small little team, you know, the rainmaker, if you, if you get rid of the whole entire team at the end of the day, you know, between the, the, the rainmaker and the one assistant is all he needs. Net profit wise is, is really the same number as if you have a team of six people. Right after you pay out everyone and pay out your marketing and all that stuff. So I had to look at that and say, okay, well, how do I get myself to a place where, you know, I don't go backwards and I can replace my production. So very first thing was I, I hired um, an agent that um, started out as an ISA and he became an agent for me and he was already previously in this and had some sales experience. Uh, 20 Dave's now th just turned 30 and he came up with me like when he was 25 and he started out as an ISA and um, he worked side by side next to me for probably a straight good year. And so started out with a, uh, a um, what was he making? Um, I think originally he started out at like 10 bucks an hour and I was paying him appointment set contracts uh, written and then contracts closed on a bonus structure. And then went from there to um, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it ran for a while. And then once he got better and better and better, after about an ISA, like working for me, setting appointments for me and me going out on them. Then I got him to start going on appointments with me. His goal, the goal for him and his, 
his career path was to become my listing partner. Once I recognized he has the skills, I could train him. So for a whole year, he was like an ISA for me, maybe, uh, maybe like nine months. And then the next following year that I made him, I said, okay, you're going to now groom into being my partner, my listing partner, take over my production. Any referrals I get, anything that comes in, you're my, like, it's going to you, you're going to take care of him. So then we got him in and then we put him on a, um, uh, uh, the time I think it was three thousand a month salary and ten percent commission. Okay, we ran with that a while. Now he's really starting to make some good money. He had a little bit of a base, you know, because he's making thirty six thousand a year and he's getting commissions. And then, so then that when we when we went into that role, um, it started to become like seventy five twenty five, seventy five percent of the business and stuff I was still doing. He was taking over twenty five. And then later on, it went to fifty uh, fifty, and then went on after that. Now it went to seventy five twenty five. And then that took about two years. And then now it's, you know, basically, I mean, he's taken over almost all of it. You know I mean? Like, you know, he's generating his, he's prospecting all my database and the leads I get. And um, he's still doing expires for selling owners and just this just sold. And, you know, he's doing, he's, he's creating his own leads as well, but we're feeding him a shit ton of my business that I normally would get repeat referral and opportunities. And I'll go on listing appointments with him as well. Cause sometimes they're going to say, I only want Jeff, right. I'm still, in past clients' eyes, and I and I do the soft. You know, Dave's my listing partner, so that does happen from time to time. But also, like the other day, like one of my past clients um, sends me an email and says, "Hey, give me a call. I'm ready to list my property." And I just simply and I was out. I was out of the office. Said, "Listen, I'm out of the office in the moment, but my listing partner Dave's going to reach out to you right away. We'll begin the market analysis for you. Look out for a call from Dave." Dave calls him up. Hey, it's me. Blah blah. blah. Jeff told me to call you. Got on the thing back and forth, blah, blah, blah. Dave did the market analysis. I call the client because, you know, hey, it's me, blah, blah, what's going on? Uh, let me know what you guys think. Bing, bang, boom. We sent over what we think um, the property value is. Now, this is an absentee owner. We got it listed. You know what I mean? But Dave now has, now he's now he's communicating with them and went and did the market analysis. So I may have to make a call there because they're, they're, they're old clients of mine. So that's kind of how it's evolved to allow myself to get out of that side. Now, he's gotten himself right now of, let's say, the 100 units I was doing. He's roughly in the 70s right now, 70, 75, you know. Um, and so his goal is to take 10 listings a month. Um, and so now the next – and he's kind of hovered there. So for him to actually get the next 25, we're now hiring an ISA for him, and we're going to do the same thing that that ISA either gets groomed to replace his production that he's able to now – want to go build an ISA division that he can go and train because we want to start building that out next. And he, but he's going to own that. He's going to run that part. So that's kind of what's evolved to get me out of that side. And so what I'm aware of is that what you realized is that you had a lot of, you called it intellectual capital. I was writing that down, right? So you have a lot of information in your head and what was happening it's prior to you were hoarding it, right? So meaning like you were hoarding it just for me, just in my head. Yeah. yeah. Then you realize like, wait a minute. Like if I can, I think about this, like if our body's the hardware, then like what's going on in our brain, the software. And it was basically like, I need to download the software that I have around listing property to this human. And unfortunately, it doesn't work the way like computers work where I could just plug it in and like boop, happens in like, you know, five minutes. Instead, what happens is, is that process took an extended period of time, right? First, he had to prospect, have all those conversations, role play. He role plays with you. Then you actually physically have to take him on presentations with you so he can watch you and listen and mimic and, you know, and in that process, essentially, you downloaded, again, your software around listing property to him and over the course of two years, then he basically has the capacity. He may not be, you know, he may not be like the OG Jeff Quinton, but he's really good, right? He's, yeah, he's, he's excellent for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now he's got to give him a little every little leverage to get him to, you know, the next part to get him an additional twenty five. He thinks he can add another fifty transactions. He thinks he may get to two hundred with the right right ISA. And then um, in doing so. I'm aware that in order for that to continue to run, right? Because in order to be able to transfer into kind of an owner, you have to have the ability to take 10, 12, 15 listings per month and replace them every month when they sell, right? Yes. Yeah. For that to be sustainable, profitable over time. 
So you do that through the combination of two things. One is actively prospecting. I've been to the bullpen. I know they're all in there making calls. And um, also, you know, you built up over time a huge past client center of influence database. And I'm aware you do some marketing efforts and things of that nature to provide leads. So in doing so, again, you know, you if you choose to, you could be in production. But if you choose not to, you don't have to. Yep. Yeah. It's allowed me it's allowed me to you know, do a lot more than just that also. So, you know, my schedule now is really it's more of a, a coaching, mentoring and training important into them. So I run a huddle call that's, you know, I actually am on it. I don't run it. The team members actually rotate and run it, but 8.15 every day. Uh, then I, I, I teach a script master class on Mondays and Wednesdays. You know, I want all my agents to be quote unquote script certified. So I teach that. I run with Scott, our CEO, our, our team meeting. And then I do a coaching call at three o'clock um, every, uh, every Tuesday, or excuse me, every Monday at three, a full coaching uh, call. And then we do our four one ones, you know, with the agents. 30 minute sessions every week. So now I'm just pouring into them, keep them accountable and really holding them to what they want. And, you know, the result of it, I, we take agents that, you know, we're like at a different company doing eight deals I mean, this year, two years later, uh, you know, we see them, they're hitting the 30 to 40 deals, you know, which has been pretty incredible to watch that you just take somebody out from what they're used to plug them in our environment, give them the coaching and training, and you can see them you know, really grow super rewarding to provide a vehicle that makes a meaningful impact in the quality of people's life. Yeah, for sure. Amen. The other thing I noticed here, which I took notes on, is that like in terms of this transition, the other thing that came up for me is like we're happiest when we're progressing. Yes. And it sounds as though like when you hit that, you, again, you were doing it for such a long time and what you described in a way is it got kind of boring. Like you were really good at it. It was duplicatable and predictable, but there wasn't like this... Um, there wasn't, you weren't like growing, right? And uh, then you took on this new challenge and you, you, uh, you know, began to progress. And I imagine that unleashed like all this other energy that was exciting and new and fresh, right? Yeah, that's a different, I have a whole, I mean, I've been doing this since 92, bro. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, 28 years, right? So it's like, man, you know, I've been around and doing it. So I, I needed to re, like re-energize and get myself going. But what was interesting is, is now there's so many, like what, what my focus is now and what keeps me up at night is creating that growth opportunity, not just for myself, but also for the team. Whereas before it was the same thing, same thing, same thing. And, you know, I'm now having to be forced to create a big world where the team members, which I have can get their world inside of mine. And because of that, you know, so now my org chart looks very big for the future and creating opportunities for them and a career path that they can advance and replace themselves and keep going and if it's something they want to do that's not on the org chart, then we're going to figure it out together and, and create that position or that role, whatever it may be. So the world looks totally different than where it was five years ago, you know, before. And I was just kind of a rainmaker agent with a couple agents and a couple admin. Now what's happening is it's become a, a business that's kind of now going and growing on its own. And, you know, I had a conversation with an agent today that's stuck around 115, 120 units for a long time and um, down your way. And um He's on the other coast, though. He's on the west side. Um, he uh, was like, geez, I, I mean, he has no leverage, right? He's like, it's just – and he does out of the 120 units, he's doing like maybe 60 himself. And so the others come from four other agents and this and that. And anyway, just there's really no leverage. But I asked him a question. I said, so, I mean, really the reality is if you wanted to go to Costa Rica for a month, could you do it? He goes, hell no. My business would fall apart. You know, and that's the difference between operator and owner. If I want to go to Costa Rica for six months, I got systems in place there now. And people that, whether it's my production – my, my, my ability to go on a listing appointment is not needed. It's already going to occur without me having to do it. You know what I mean? Now, when something, some other things fall off, I'm sure. But ultimately, the business itself is going to continue to run itself and, you know, at a certain level for production. And that's kind of what sucks. It, was, it always was one of those things that I was the primary listing agent. If I went on vacation or if I went to an event, I'm spending half of my time still negotiating deals and, you know, running around and still being an agent that was always – I had a job, you know, it was a job. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I was watching uh, Shark Tank and uh, I watch it with the kids because like I feel like it's an educational experience for them. And there was this woman there. She owned like a uh, uh, like something with uh, eyebrows or something. And it was like a specialized boutique. And she came there asking for money. And Barbara Corcoran, she said something to her that was really struck me. She was like, you know, what I'm aware of is you don't have a business. You have a service. And she's like, there's nothing wrong with having a service. 
The only challenge is, is there's nothing for me to invest in. Like my suggestion to you is you keep doing the service and make a lot of money and like, that'll be that, but it's not a business. And what you just said was very interesting is that, um, I think, you know, we're, we're trained in our game and coaches talk about it and they're like, you know, your business or my business. Right. But what most agents have is a service and some provided at a really high level. We're like world-class operators of that service. So we get compensated a lot for it, but it's not a business. And, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, you know, because you have a choice, I think at that point is you have a service, do it at a very high level. You're very highly profitable and you make a ton of money, right? And that's good. The challenge is that, that if you don't start getting leverage at some point, you're just going to, you're going to keep doing that until you to I don't know, until you die, right? Or to whenever, right? Or less so you, you put enough money saved from that service away that you can now invest in something that pays you back. So that when that service is someday you turn the machine off, how does that look? My approach now is different. I'm saying, okay, we've created a business that ultimately, if I want to turn that machine off as far as a certain level, it will st- or delegate or sell it or, or partner with somebody then I can still use this as, and we talk about this, you know, a lot in your podcast does and, and who you are about passive income and residual income and, and creating wealth. When you have a real estate business, the way it's actually called a business, actually that can become an asset in itself that will pay you a passive amount of income. You know, that can happen. But what this has allowed me to do now is now expand and go into different locations and absorb a whole different, you know, I can I have the ability now to go approach someone that's already been in the business 30, 40, 50 years, a guy that's maybe retiring or has a small team, has a really good database, a good business and create an exit strategy for them and an income stream and go to them and make a deal and partner with them, absorb their business now in the mine and then give them an exit strategy. But now I can grow in another location that, you know, the golden handoff is what we call. So that in itself is now I have that ability. I now have ability to now scale and go into other companies, mortgage title, because now I have different, I'm meeting with an insurance guy this week on a whole different concept, not just regular homeowners insurance and flood insurance, but a uh, an equity protection business, if you will, like it's a pretty killer thing I'm working on. Um, you know, so it's freed me up to be more entrepreneurial, which I've always been. But when I was, I was always in the production side, having to do all of it, kind of running it, you know, and having to be the more the person that has to make it rain. I stuck, I was stuck in there. But now it allows me to, to be open and opportunities. So many other things that are out there to invest my other time in to create more opportunity back to the team that's actually um, allowing me to create more opportunity for them. And it's more meaningful. You know, I can, I can do that now. So, and it, it sounds as though it's, uh, it's freed you up to be more of who you actually are, which is uh, being very entrepreneurial by nature, very creative. Like you like doing deals, you like making stuff happen. Yeah. What I think it's so interesting, like what you just described, and I just want to circle back for a second, where like you're saying, look, there's nothing wrong with having a, a really world-class service that you get paid a lot of money to do. And what I'm aware of is some, you know, because, um, you know, there's different coaching programs and stuff. And some people push like, no, you should only be a service. And other ones push like, no, you, you have to do like what Quentin's doing. And what I'm aware of is, like you said, like it's not, it's not either like it's not wrong either one is not wrong the challenge though is is that for the people who operate the service part for the most part it's not it's not the rule or it's not the uh rule but it's it it usually happens more often than not is that they notoriously don't save and invest a large portion of all the income that they're earning right so what happens is it becomes the kind of ham- it becomes a hamster wheel right where they have to forever continue to perform the service and that's where having a high level service that you get paid a lot of money for that's kind of silly right because you're you're actually not building wealth and you know because we've sat on lots of panels like like if people really got underneath the hood you'd be like man like what's what's going on here like you yeah you make a lot of money but at the end you're maybe saving like I don't know, 40, 50 grand a year out of a million. Like what's, what's that? And then the other flip side is you see teams that are out there doing the same million GCI and they're only making 40, 50 grand. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. And then you say, oh, know. it's like, amazing. Like when they're like, man, you know, 
you know, uh, I, I mean, what, what I've learned, what I've experienced, what I see is the ages that started out with the service mentality, learning that skill and then growing from there. I'm not saying what it's done, but I see ages now that, okay, well, I'm in the business two or three years. I'm going to go start a team. Yeah, I'm going to go hire. And they got 10 agents on them. And all of a sudden they bring this and we sit down with them. Oh, yeah, I got, I got, I did a million dollars in GCI. Great. Well, so what are your splits you're paying? Oh, we, we, I got 70% splits. All right. So you're already 300,000. How much is your, your operating cost? Oh, well, that's 200 grand. Okay. That's a hundred. Right. And, uh, you know, and what else do you have? Well, how much did you pay yourself? I didn't pay myself anything. And then, you know, how many, how much deals do you do? Well, I did 10. Well, there's your, there's your hundred grand you made. You made it 10 deal on your 10 grand, the 10 deals yourself. Everything else was just, was just for nothing. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I was working with a guy who's, uh, oh, he has like a brokerage, but like he, it's like his team. Right. And I asked him a simple question. I was like, let me ask you, man. Cause I mean, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort. Like you're pouring yourself into all these people. Like, like you said, there's very few things that are truly passive. Right. And I was like, are you making any money? And he got real quiet. And it was like, well, no, not really. Like it kind of breaks even. It's like, well, why are you doing it? And like, that doesn't make sense. Just because somebody tells you you should be doing it just because right. like, right. So I think what, what just percolated, I, I think you're absolutely correct, which is that the tendency more often than not is that the people who start off with the service and, and do that at like capacity, they do like hundred, 150, then transition into this skill set mm -hmm. are usually the ones who uh, do it in such a way that it's very profitable right it makes the most sense yeah i mean it's a, you know look i'm still learning along the way here you know this whole thing so it's not one of those things that you know be, you, you pull back the curtain i mean it's still behind the scenes it's a freaking mess you know what i mean so you know i'm still learning all along the way i mean it's uh, when you grow you know it's like one step forward two step back two step forward one step back you know that's just what what business is but ultimately what i've realized is what business is as far as how business is measured business is measured by profit and that's where it has to start first. And so everything I do is all based upon that in the beginning. Yeah, which I love, right? And I think that's what makes you a very, very good business person. Is And, and I think that that's what we're talking about here because being a world-class service has to be with being a world-class salesperson. And doing what you're doing has and to do it profitably has to be a world-class business person. And I'm aware that those two skill sets usually not – all the time, but usually it's very difficult to find them in the same human. It's hard. It, believe me, it's hard. And that's why the, the, the power of hiring the right people around you, you know, that can do the things I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not good at hiring. I'm not good at management. The reality, I'm not. I'm good at visionary. I'm very good at that and creating and being creative. Um, but now, you know, um, just like the, um, uh, in the book, um, uh, you know, um, not Gino's book, Traction, but uh, the other one, we talk about a visionary and integrator, you know, and I've been able to hire some good people around me that are the integrators and, you know, be able to say, okay, here's where we're going. Here's the org chart. We need to now go fill this, go fill these positions. And what do we need to make that happen, you know, to get us to this next level? What does that look like? You know, so it's uh, that, that's, there's definitely things that I'm not good at. When it comes to business, I'm, I'm trying, and ultimately the goal is to be able to find the people that are and plug them in for that. That's awesome. And then what the other thing I wanted to touch on is that now that you have acquired that skill, essentially what you've done is you've taken again what you know in your head, you've turned it into an intangible asset, which is like your brand, which is like your systems, which is like processes, procedures. The thing about intangible assets is that they're very scalable quickly. Uh, versus like brick and mortar, right? Like that's, there's more cost, it's, it's more difficult. Um, and now that's because you're freed up, you're beginning to multiply that. So if you could like tell us how, not only have you done that for your team, let's say, where you stepped out, maybe do 10, 12 deals yourself per year, and now the team does the rest and you're still very, very profitable, still earning the money that you want to earn over seven figures, but also beginning to now replicate that in other geographic areas. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's like any business, you know, the, the core of our business or the rock behind it is the administrative staff, you know, because agents may come and go, 
But if you take care of your ministry of staff, they'll stay around forever. A lot of times until they get burned out, maybe. But ultimately, that's you know, sometimes it happens. But you know, that's that's the whole part. So you know, what's important for us to scale right now is is having those systems in place um, so that whether we're carrying you know 80 listings or 90 listings, we can go to carry 300 rather than having you know the ability if we have you know if I want to bring on 10 agents into our organization, can I onboard them? you know, within, within the next couple of days and get it smooth. Right. Um, you know, so having all these things set up and what we've, what we've learned right now in that area is if it doesn't require a physical body in a location right now, we're definitely going virtual. So we have, you know, we have a listing manager that, that handles entire listing management systems in the Philippines. And we have four, we have four other virtual assistants all in the Philippines, one that runs two of them and one that does a lot of projects. So we have a lot of stuff in the back end of, of, you know, low cost, highly productive, no BS. We're not calling out, you know, because they're sick. Um, and sometimes if there's a project, then I can get them to work at night when we're sleeping. And when you wake up, it's done. Um, rest of them typically work on our, on our, on our timeframe. Um, even that's, you know, it's completely 12 hour difference. Um, you know, they work on our East coast time. And uh, so it's building those systems, you know, behind the scenes and having some pillars in place of good people that can build those out for you and, and keep them, in, um, you know, accountable for that. Um, so that's, that's been helpful for, for scale, you know, to be able to get your staff so good and then get their, get them to really operate in what their 20% is and take their 80% and delegate it. So, and we started by having this conversation like success leaves clues, I think something you just said is very interesting. So you mentioned Gary and what you were referring to as Gary Keller. And I remember being at a mega agent camp and he was saying that over time he sees the actual physical like office space getting smaller. For sure. Because the costs, the major cost of sales is space and people. The other thing that you just mentioned, which is definitely a trend that um, really without me realizing it, we've done is you mentioned about people being able to work virtually. Uh, and that's, and also at a reduced kind of amount, right? That's the reason why you're utilizing uh, staff from the Philippines. So for probably 12 years, 11 years, like I physically don't have a space in the office and all of my staff is remote. So the listing coordinator, transaction coordinator, uh, the people who input stuff, yeah, uh, which, is, which I think is a, I'd love to say like I saw that like 10 years ago and was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. But that's not what happened. Um, but it ended up going with a trend. And it sounds like you're right in alignment with that. It's not like you're trying to open up this huge space and like have all of these people there where it's possible you're um, reducing that expense and allowing people to work virtually. Yeah. And, and virtually doesn't always need to be like offshore. It can be in stateside as well. But remember like when – I was talking about how this all started with, with uh, locations and stuff. When remember back in the day when the office was getting renovated and I went sales team here and then the other one went in the bakery that you know, we had to rent space for, for a while. I didn't. So what I did every day is I went to one space, they went to the other. We communicated by documents through fax machines. That's what it was. You wouldn't even have email. Right. And so. They're not even going to know what a fax machine is, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still got one. Right. That's how OG this guy is, bro. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, they give me some background on that. We like, okay, so we'd prospect the morning nine to noon, and at noon they would fax over any message that I had. I didn't have voicemail. Fax physical. They would take a handwritten message on a message book. They copy of it and fax it over to the location I was at. And that would even call, that was the way I communicated. And then I would every day once a day I would call the staff for whatever it was and check in and say what do you need blah 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 and that was it. I'd be on to the next thing. And so it, it ultimately kind of started that way with, with other people in other locations, whether we call that virtual or not, they're close by, but they still are in other locations. It's not, you don't have to be physically in the office, you know, where you are, you know. You get stuck in that. And um, it's just recognizing that particularly with technology, it's just not required, man. Like, yeah. There's no, there's no reason. Like just how me and you are communicating right now, we can see each other. We're talking to each other. Like there's no reason for us usually to be in the same geographic space. I'm aware with salespeople, like having a space is important because you can hold them accountable and there's oversight and things of that nature. Um, and in terms of like live coaching and stuff, but for the most part, I mean, now with technology, it's not, it's not required. And it's again, going back to like letting go. Yeah. It's like letting, 
this idea that I have to be right next to Jeff. Well, the truth is, is I really don't. Yeah. And like our, t- our Tuesday team meetings, everyone, everyone zooms in on that meeting. So, and then I take a Mevo camera as well. And I put that in our private Facebook group. So they can go back and record it and listen to it as well. Um, but I mean, you know, our Tuesday meetings, we have typically three or maybe of our, of our Ralph will be on there or Sherry will be on there. Or maybe Jade, anyway, the, our virtual assistants in the Philippines, Skyping in, you know, they're on the screen. We can see them. They're there. And then my two closing managers that are off site, they're there and they're local, but they're not in the office. And then our expansion partners, they're there, Florida and Cherry Hill and, and in North Carolina. Deck just with a virtual meeting. That's all. That's it, man. Yep. And then we have the rest of our in-house crew that are at the table, you know, in our conference room. Um, but that's, you know, that's how we operate. But it's such a inspiration to see you. Um, it's really inspiring to me to see people that are very good at something, like let go of it and go get really good at another thing. Uh, because I don't, most- I, don't a, I don't have a problem with letting go of stuff. I, I've, I've gotten over that a long time ago. And let me tell you something. When I let go of something, though, for me, one of the highest needs, and you know about needs, human needs, and, 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 and is certainty, right? So I am on, and I remember everything that I, I, I do delegate or let go of. And if I don't start seeing the results or I don't start start seeing what it is or an update of some shit, I lose my shit. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I'll, I'll go to Scott, like, um, by February 1st today, we had to have a solution for one of our expansion locations for an MCA on how the the DAs are going to go and the checks are cut anyway. And I was on this morning on Saturday, kind of gets pissed off at me because but I wrote an email at eight o'clock, I'm like it's February 1, where are we with this? You know, and I need to know, like, because I, I didn't hear back or no, I know it's a deadline. And, you know, so he called me actually today and, and went over and told me the solutions and all that stuff. But, you know, like if I don't, I can delegate something, but when you do that or you let go it, and it's something that's important for at least me, I need to know the certainty it's been done or an update of some sort. So we, we continue to work on the, you know, the do, doing and done. And I need an update from my virtual assistant. So they report us every day, end of day, EOD, like list. Okay, here's everything that we did. Boom, 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 boom. I can glance through it and say, okay, they did that. And this is what's going on. And then the beginning of the day, here's what we're going to do. Blah, blah, blah. Like we're sending these. You know, we're sending a thousand text messages to this database, 150 people to this, we work on this project, you know, like it'll give me a list. So I, I it's one thing to let it go and I'm cool with that. And I, I don't care how it gets done. I'm not attached to how I'm attached to it, the result of, of how it, of when it gets done. So what I just wrote down is what it made me think about is I've heard Gary Keller say it's one thing to take your eyes off a of business, but it's another thing to take your hands off of it. Right. Sure. And you might take your eyes off of it, but you're not taking your hands off of it, bro. Like, like if it's not done, they're going to know. And that's really your role is to hold them accountable to it. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And then and then if the person that I give it to, you know, uh, like Scott, you know, if I give him something, he takes it and goes to a VA, then you sure shit, he better be keeping the VA accountable to it. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? So if they're going to pass it, that's fine. They could leverage himself or whatever. Well, then, you know, he better inspect what he expects. I guess I'm wondering for those agents that are out there that may be watching this, um, you know, perhaps like just just kind of getting in the game. Right. So we're talking about really high level, like kind of evolving from being hundreds of deals a year to kind of working your way out of production. But I'm aware, you know, sometimes when I'm giving talks to a group of agents or coaching agents throughout the country, they're like, "Okay, that's cool. But like, all right, where do I get started now? (laughs) Like, right. So what would your suggestion be for those agents? Yeah. So, I mean, a new agent getting into business. I mean, uh, there's a couple of thoughts on this. I mean, first, I'm I, what I see, I see a lot. We see it right now. The solo agent by themselves, solo right now, industry getting in, they're struggling, man. They are. Um, you have two choices. One is they either, first of all, most of them don't have a database. I don't know what the hell that means, right? So unless they have a big database and a big budget, you know, if they got a big database of some sort coming from a different industry or or something to tap into or whatever, and a, a good budget, they can spend money to buy leads of people and then can call them, which 99% of these people don't have that. But if you have that, then great. We can put you in business. And you're going to be okay because you can afford to do it. Most agents today don't have that. So what do they need to do? They got to go back and they got to learn the skill based of the business. They got to learn what to say, how to say it, create structure. They've got to they got to go ahead and, and go get the business versus still waiting for it to come from the, come to them. I mean, they got to go out and do open houses and do it right. I mean, they should be doing a ton of that because then people come to them, right? They're able to create buyers and sellers and get leads for free. 
Um, they need to be able to learn how to call a database of people that they have and let them know they're in the business, whether that's downloading their entire address book from their cell phone, downloading all their LinkedIn connections, downloading their Facebook friends. Like all of a sudden they can have a couple thousand people and they got to, they got to go out and actually communicate to them. So the, the art of communication is what they need to learn. We've talked about this and you know, this is what you specialize in. Cause I believe we are in the communication business, helping people make decisions. That's all this is. And you know, that's for the new agent. Now, most of them aren't, don't know how to do that. So now they have to get coached or find out someone that can teach them that. So ultimately my opinion is today, if I was to get into real estate business today and I knew nothing, I would join a team. I join a top producing team because they can give you the coaching, the training, the mentoring can accelerate your world so much faster than you doing it on your own. You can get leads, you can get fed, you can get all the administrative stuff. You can have accountability. Yeah. Is when you join a team, are you going to be on a, on a split less than what your brokerage is? Absolutely. But you're going to get opportunity and it's going to accelerate your learning curve quicker. Stay with that team for four or five years, whatever it is. If there's no opportunity or career path for you to advance, then leave and go start your own. But if this team's creating a big world like our teams do, there's no then don't leave. Go start your own team within the team if you want. There's opportunity to do that. Like, you know, the the, the team concept is not going away. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It just is. You look around. Um, you know, eventually I think that there's gonna be, you know, probably only maybe five brokerages, you know, in the future, in the next 10 years. You look at all the brokerages now. Right. The small mom and pop shops are like the small mom and pop. So small mom and pop uh, brokerages today are, are very similar to what a solo agent is. They're hard. They can't make any money. You know, they're struggling. A hundred percent. And I, I agree with um, first of all, I think all of those are awesome. I took notes here like, you know, skills are critically important. Either link up with somebody, a trainer, coach, speaker, mentor who can connect you and kind of teach you those skills. Or like you said, join a team, because with that, you're going to get all of this education, all this accountability, all these coaching leads to feed you. And like you said, in four or five years, you'll really have a in-depth understanding of the game. And then you can either, if there's opportunities, um, you know, grow within that organization. If there's not, go do your own thing. And you touched on one other thing, which I think is very true, is that, you know, what we're seeing is that because of there's some very sharp elbowed competitors that are pushing into our game uh, that are very well funded. And because as an industry as a whole, we don't really prospect as a whole, right? There's a small yeah. segment of the population that does, who typically do most of the business. But what these, what these businesses see is this massive, they see two things. They see massive inefficiency where the majority of the agents don't do anything and a very small percentage of them do the most or do all of it. And they also see huge profit margins. Mm -hmm. As, you know, as, so that's ripe for disruption. And, What's happening too is that, um, you know, we're being trained as consumers more and more to go online before people, you know, to make decisions about who gets our money, products and services wise. And I don't, you know, the, the question you ask yourself is like, what's the probability that that's going to stop? And the probability is really low. Like if anything, it's going to speed yeah. up, right? The margin, the profit margins are just, I mean, everyone wants to be in our business and they're getting in between us and they're getting portions of our commissions. It is. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I had a good fortune of, I was at the Inman the other night and I had a good fortune to be at a, a sat at the table, private room with the CEO of Homelight and his ex executive staff, which is unbelievable, unbelievable uh, uh, staff and what they're doing. I mean, they, they started out with 10 people uh, in San Francisco in their office. Now they're growing. They got, they're, they're in um, uh, Phoenix and New York and that's 200 and I think he said 50 some employees, you know, and long story short, just got $110 million uh, uh, funded to them. But you you look at these these third party referral companies, the Home Lights, Up Nest, Fast Agents, and there's there's 30 or 40 of them now that are prospecting for agents that aren't willing to, sending them the leads, and now they're char charging them 25, 30, 35 percent. And agents today are like, perfect, I'm willing to pay. I mean, there's agents on reload deals paying 50 percent referral fees, like just insane. But ultimately, because of all this is coming in order, and it's it's disrupting. The agents that aren't willing to learn the skills, right? Like you and I can, here's the deal. What's so powerful about what we've done is if you want a listing today, I can make a call. I know I can set an appointment. I know I can get a listing like that, right? Like, okay, I have the ability right now to make, uh, you know, $12,000 gross, $400,000 deal. I can turn the machine on and get, I can predict it and get it. I know I can do that today, right now. If I, at the end of the day, 
Can you get a listing? I get a listing some way, somehow, right? Uh, we, we know that, right? But agents aren't today willing to do what it takes um, or so anyway, long story short, I, I'm just saying that it's getting harder and harder. It's getting squeezed the margins along the way. That the only two solutions to that is volume, right? I just got to do more deals to make the same amount of money. Because what will happen is, is let's say an agent's doing 100 deals and kind of in a traditional way, as these people start to push in, they'll do the same 100 deals, but they'll make 25 to 30% less money. Yeah, especially if they're relying on these companies. Exactly. And what I and and Homelight, by the way, in my opinion, I'd love to have him on that CEO, but they have the best platform, the best system, they have the best technology. And what I'm noticing, even in my because I'm still very much in production, unlike you, I'm still going on appointments and such. But I think I took, I don't know, 15 listings this month, and at least five or six were from these platforms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Aware of is like I don't see that slowing down. So instead of personally like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, okay, how can I maximize that? Because me and you are built for those type of lead sources in the sense that even though they're giving out multiple leads, we can convert at really high levels. Yes. And what their algorithms are trying to figure out is who's the best at converting leads. And once they figure out who's the best at converting leads, they're going to keep pumping them with leads. Yeah, they'll fill, yeah, they'll, they'll fill you up for sure. Um, you know, I think we got two or three yesterday and, and I don't know if that was purposeful because I was just at the meeting because I sent my rep a note, and, hey, I met your crew and had a good time. But we got a couple there uh, yesterday and, um, you know, that's not going away. Like you said, they're, they're in our space and they're going to continue to do that. But we have to we have to sell more homes. to, And I'm OK with that. But the thing is what I think that in, in this topic about leverage and, and about maybe growing a business, it's getting back to profitability. And then we can go on and on just about agent splits. Right. And all of that and all and how all that works. But if you got a company that's coming in right at the top, every time taking 25% of your business from a referral fee or 30%, well, now we're starting at 70%, right? And then an agent wants 50%. Now we're at 20, but our operating costs are at 30. So now one of these leads actually I'm negative by 10%, right? So now why do I even do that? Because now all the profits on the top go away, like a referral fee. But these agents want all these big splits. So that's the challenge, right? It's a split conversation which it shouldn't be. It should be a net conversation on what the agents are going to earn. But so we have a couple of things going on. We have these agents that want to be paid so much, and then we have disruptors coming in to take so much and the profits at the end. But agents, they want to be paid so much, and then they want everything else combined behind it that we provide. So the, the real estate world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So yeah, that's why they start, I guess, in the beginning, a new agent today, they're not going to have all that, but they're not going to have any business. All the teams are going to have it all, right? Yep. But then those teams that need to survive need to watch your profit margins. And what I think will happen eventually, I think you're completely right in terms of like massive consolidation, right? And I think the other thing that's true is there'll either be a few options. One is you'll be um, like a, a world-class operator. You'll carry 20, 30, 40 listings at any given time and you'll feed the system what it needs. So all of these platforms the oxygen that they need to breathe are listings. So if I can provide the system with the oxygen that it needs, like the same way me and you need breath, we can't go like three, four minutes without it. They need that. If I can continue to provide that to the system, I'll still be handsomely rewarded for that. For sure. Right? Then there'll be people who work for a high producing team or kind of small team that has like three or four agents or whatever, because what they're doing is they're providing shade to those agents, kind of protection through listings. Or you're going to have to take a salary or work for Redfin. Correct. Yep. And that's the way, like what I'm aware of is that's playing out like right now as we speak. Yep. And this issue with regards to the net being compressed, I think it's really problematic because um, it leads to an issue where, you know, 65% of Americans, even people who earn a lot of money, like they typically live paycheck to paycheck. So if as an industry, the net's coming down and people will be earning 25% less money, that's a problem. So like now it's kind of like I've, I shared with, uh, I was having a conversation the other day. It's like, would it be helpful to know what was going to happen 36, 48 months from now, like right now? And it's like, of course, because then I can start to be doing things and putting things in place in terms of diversifying income streams. Well, so, so here, here's, here's the question for your audience and, and to think about is what would disrupt you? What is actually the next, what is going to take you out of business? 
Like what is the absolute one disruptive thing that's going to eliminate you completely or take you out of business? And whatever that disruptive thing is, that's the business we need to be in. You know, it's so interesting you say that because um, I were from Business Mastery again. One of the things that stuck out at me is I heard Tony say, like, you have to manage the business that you're in and the business that you're becoming. Correct. Yes. Which is so interesting. And that has to do with like letting go. Right. So. Um, and, and essentially, you have to cannibalize your current kind of business and the way you're doing something. But like this idea of vertical integration, where like you have residential resale, then you have another flow that's like a side flow, whatever that is, then you own property that pushes out money. So then what happens is, is I'm, I'm compensating for that offset. So even though like the net might be compressed, I'm making all this money from other sources, and that's gonna equate to me earning, you know, what I wanna earn. Yeah. And that's it. It'll be very interesting in the next five, five to 10 years in this industry, because it, look at where it was five, 10 years ago. It's changed a lot. It still is, you know, I mean, but I, I think that, you know, you have your solo agent that's going to be harder and harder and struggle. The teams are going to get larger and larger and larger. Um, and, you know, the teams, what I've learned is what I'm ultimately trying to experience right now is before when I was I know going back to what we talked about earlier is kind of like transitioning or that, that journey between Rainmaker agent, a smaller team doing a lot of production to stepping back and building it and working on it versus in it. You know, before I always felt that I always had a ceiling on my business. Uh, now I can now look past and the, 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 the roof's open, right? Now I can look and I can, there is no ceiling anymore because of the opportunities that I have. I never could see it before. I can only see, okay, 200 deals. Right, how do I get to two, 250? Right, how do I get to 300? Right. I'm writing a plan going, OK, well, I got to get to a thousand deals. And then, OK, how am I going to get to a thousand deals? Um, I got to sell, you know, in my, in my market, I don't even have a thousand deals, but I got to go out. And if I do, OK, if I do 30 in this market and I do, you know, 70 in this market and I go over here and do 50 in this one. And I go out maybe 40 miles and do 50 there. And like that was my plan. Now the ceiling is, OK, well, if I want to add another thousand deals or or if I want to uh, expand or if I want to get to a thousand you know, is there a, an independent company right now I can just go merge with, right? Yeah. Or take over that's already doing 400 transactions and bring them into my world, right? And I can be a profitable, or I can buy them, right? That's that's the mind's thinking this way now, right? Absorb them. And that's what we did in ultimately down in North Carolina. We, we have an exit strategy for a guy that's owned the company for 32 years and we absorbed and merged into Keller Williams through our expansion business as a team with 23 agents. You know, they did about 50 million last year and 117 units. So quickly we can grow in this and, and scale that way. Instead of like these incremental bumps, you just like picked up, you know, a hundred deals. Yeah. And I mean, it was doing 200 and some, it was doing like 230 about two years ago, three years ago over a hundred million. And uh, they lost a bunch of agents to other brokerages. Calgary's one of them in, in the market. And so now it's going back in and taking the agents we have and getting more productive and production out of them and going to recruit to it now. So you know, that's got to add back into it. So, that, but it gives me a platform to grow from, you know, now we're looking to merge or uh, partner with a, with a actually ownership of a mortgage company for that group as an in-house lender. So there's other opportunity. There's my other maybe stream of income that's going to come play, you know what I mean? Of something that's going to leverage. Then, you know, I've got other opportunities down there now in other locations in Hilton, for example, resort secondary market that was approached to me. Hey, I heard you did this. We might be thinking about doing something similar. Come talk to me. All right, well, let's talk about what you're up to and how's your business look. Now we're analyzing that opportunity. You know what I mean? So this is how you can start to grow a little bit. The world domination of Jeffrey. <laughs> nah, I mean, it's, that's I mean, it's just what it is. It's exciting. It's awesome, man. And I'm, I'm uh, again, it's super inspiring. I imagine everybody that's listening will be inspired. So Listen, brother, I really appreciate you, man. There's a quote that says, um, nobody stands taller than somebody who reaches down on the ladder of success to pull somebody else up. And uh, you were super kind enough. I mean, I didn't really even know you, man, to uh, give me kind of access to your world and set me on kind of my trajectory. So thanks for that. Always. I'll super be appreciative of that for always. And uh, thank you for taking the time to be here with us today, man. I know your time is super valuable. And I know that a lot of people are going to get that value. Anything for you, whatever you need. You know, no, I appreciate you very much. It's been an honor to chat with you about all this and to get uh, some good content here to pour into whomever decides to listen to it. Well, hey, I appreciate you, brother. Make it a great day, okay? I'll talk to you soon. Before you go, let me just hold on. Let me, let me yeah. give a shout out. Let me give a shout out in my locations. 
Go ahead. Shout out your locations. Where can people find you, man? My yeah, all the referrals that all your audience is going to send me. Right? I mean, I'm prospecting right now. Right? Okay. So the name is Jeff Quinton. And the easiest way to reach me, you can email me or any social media at Jeff Quinton, but Jeff at the Quinton Group.com, Q-U-I-N-T-I-N.com, uh, or Jeff at the Quinton Group.com. And uh, so my hub business is in Southern New Jersey, which basically it services all the Southern part of New Jersey, Atlantic Cape May County. We've expanded in, into the Outer Banks, North Carolina. And uh, that's our primary two major markets we're in, but we're also heavily concentrating on the Philadelphia market too this year to expand to. So if you have anybody coming this way or... Either way, send them, please. Definitely do that. They'll treat them right, get it done. So, man, you're awesome. Make it a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks much. Thank you so much for listening to the Aaron Novello Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Aaron on Instagram at Aaron Novello. Happy hunting.